I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Hey, y'all, and welcome in to a Wednesday live edition of Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nowak. I'm your solo host. Steve is currently on air hosting Sports Talk. We probably shouldn't overlap these, but hey... We got to do it at some point, and that show goes on forever, so had to do it at some time. So here we are. This is our Wednesday edition. On weeks where we're coming off a road game, this is the only real way we can get a midweek episode in. So I come on, and I break down the injury report and any other topics that are coming up. This week, that's going to be a pretty interesting one. I blame Nick Underhill for this, just like I blame Nick Underhill for us having to talk about motion. He does this. He, I think he's on a, on a on a hot streak right now. He's trying to trying to prove a point. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, we're talking about Trevor Penning, which is interesting because I don't like the idea of sitting down your first round pick, uh, who I think has been taking strides. But we'll get into it. That'll be the second segment. Then the final segment, we'll get into a live mailbag. We'll answer viewer questions. If you have any comments, questions, whatever, pictures of your cat, I don't know. I don't know if you can throw those on YouTube, but send me a link and we'll get into those in the final segment as we do. But first things first, let's get into the injury report. It's a long one, but I don't think there's a ton to be concerned about on the Saints side of things. Now, one conversation we've got into a lot this week and the last few weeks, I asked Derek Carr about it, and he said, you know, it's just how things have gone. It's nothing to be concerned about. Eventually, they'll this will be remedied, but the Saints just don't throw to tight ends. Part of it is you don't really have a ton of tight ends. There was one catch by a tight end in week five. It was the shovel pass to Foster Morrow that 
you know, technically is more like a run than a pass, but I'll, I'll, I'll give him credit for at least designing something for a tight end. There was one other target to a tight end in week five. It was Jimmy Graham. The ball was thrown behind him. I still think he should have found a way to catch that ball. Hey, you know, we'll, we'll give him a pass. But, I mean, that's it. That was the only action for tight ends in that game in week four. You didn't have a single target for a tight end. Now Jimmy Graham is the only tight end active in that game. But there you go again. In week three, I think you had one target to Jimmy Graham, and it was the touchdown. And I'm pretty sure that is it. So, you know, where are they? And you could say Jawan Johnson has not been there, and he has not. And so, like, that's where we're going to start with this injury report here is tight end Jawan Johnson. He has missed the last two games with a calf injury. He had that calf injury going up to Green Bay, and he played through it. Did not seem to be a huge issue. He was not on the injury report ahead of week four. But you get on the field, and there's Jawan Johnson working with the trainer in pregame trying to stretch out that calf. Did not play in the game. Ended up being a scratch. Foster Morrow was also out, so Jimmy Graham was your only tight end. This past week, he was on the injury report all week. Did not practice. Was declared out on Friday. This week, starts off with a DMP on Wednesday. So, you know, it's not looking great for Jawan Johnson getting back in the lineup. And for a guy who hasn't really been a factor in general, that's troubling. You know, and we talked to Pete Carmichael on WWL Radio this week, and he said he does need to get the tight ends more incorporated. How that happens, I don't know. But, you know, we talk a lot about how the Saints haven't been able to take advantage of the middle of the field to this point in the season. One of the ways you take advantage of the middle of the field is by throwing the ball to the tight ends. By with seam breaking routes, you know, just send the tight end up the seam and force them to adjust to it. And that makes life a lot more difficult on defenses because they have to collapse and you can hit them on the edges. If they don't have to respect the middle of the field, then they can play wide and they can they can bottle everything up. So it's a thing, it's something that they're gonna have to figure out one way or the other. But first things first, Jawan Johnson. I don't know. It's a calf injury. Those things are tough. Soft tissue injuries are tough. Uh, you know, hopefully he can he can kick that and get back sooner rather than later, but this is not a good start for him. The other Johnson twin, Lonnie Johnson, safety, has a hamstring injury. He also missed week five, did not practice on Wednesday. Not a good sign for him. I think he's tracking toward missing another week. Now, two other DMPs are players that left week five midway through the second half. One is safety JT Gray is dealing with a hamstring injury, did not participate. He's just a guy who's been hurt a lot this season. He, and he hasn't really been a guy who's gotten hurt a ton in his career. I think this is just one of those years where he can't get ahead. He dealt with a shoulder injury. Now he's dealing with the hamstring. He, uh, he did not participate on Wednesday. Hopefully he can get back. The other one is Adam Prentice, the fullback, who left midway through the second half with a knee injury and did not return against the Patriots. The Saints signed J.P. Holtz to the practice squad this week, the H-back. He's technically a tight end, but... In for all intents and purposes, he's a fullback. And I think you do that because you expect Adam Prentice to be out and you want to have that blocker. So I expect Adam Prentice to miss this week and you're going to elevate J.P. Holtz, but we'll see. Either way, not a good sign for Adam Prentice, a guy who has struggled mightily. And, you know, you don't want to hear your fullback's name, right? Like that's just the more you hear their name, it's usually a bad thing. And especially for Prentice, you know, he had a drop. He had a fumble this past week. He got called for a hold. Just not a great way to start a season uh, for that guy. So we'll have to see. And then offensive tackle Landon Young, he uh, landed on the injury report late in the week with a hip issue. He didn't play. 
And uh, he's starting this week with a DMP. So that's not great for him. Now, you go down the rest of the list, nothing super concerning. Ryan Ramchek, Jimmy Graham, they're, just, they're on a rest schedule, guys. So they're not going to be out there on Wednesdays pretty much every week, and that's the case here. The good news is last week, Ryan Ramchek was listed with a foot injury. Now, this week, that is off the list, and so that's a good sign. Because anytime your tackles are dealing with feet stuff, you don't want the big guys to have bum feet. Right. Like that's that's an injury that's difficult to deal with for anybody. But for a 300 pound guy who really needs to anchor, uh, that's that's a problem. So good. It's good to see that that's not on there anymore. Now, going down, there are a few players who were added to this list that were not on it last week. Those would be defensive end Cam Jordan, who was listed with a back issue. He was limited. I don't expect that to be anything big. You know, you're a 33 year old guy. You're playing football, you're going to have a back issue. So I I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. The one I am a little more concerned with is Chris Olave, who's dealing with a toe issue. And it's just because anytime I see toe, I get, you know, flashbacks to Mike Thomas missing an entire season with a toe issue. And, you know, all these other guys having turf toe and whatever. He played through it last week. Hopefully it doesn't get into anything worse. I talked about on last episode, this is a grueling set of games for the Saints, right? They're going to have to play the Texans on Sunday. They're going to have to turn around and play the Jags on Thursday. So if you're dealing with a toe issue now, if you're dealing with anything nagging right now, that's a tough two games to get through. So, I mean, you're just going to have to watch. Hopefully it doesn't mess him up too much because I don't think he has been particularly good the last two weeks. He definitely wasn't against the Bucks and against the Packers. You know, he got into good positions. He got open. He just didn't make any catches. You know, he had one where he couldn't get both feet inbounds on a ball that he caught and almost ran me over on. He had one that he, it was a touchdown. All you do is hold on to it and you kind of have regressed into seeing him drop balls as he goes to the ground, which is what we saw him do way too much last year. And it seemed like he'd kicked that a little bit. Well, it all came up again. There was another play over the middle of the field that was a tough ball. It kind of sailed on Derek Carr a little bit. But I've seen him make more difficult catches than that. It just was a bad game for him. And so hopefully he's just in a funk right now and he can break out of it. But, you know, anytime you see toe, not something I like. Offensive guard slash tackle, which is a uh, that's foreshadowing. James Hurst, he went on the injury report late in the week. I believe it was an ankle issue. Uh, when it was listed ahead of week five. Now it's called a foot issue. So he was limited, but he did play through that. And he seemed reasonably effective dealing with it in week five. So I'm not particularly concerned about that. And then the rest of the players on this list were full participants. So you had Derek Carr, who's still dealing with that right shoulder AC sprain, but he was a full participant. It's the first time he has been full in practice since the injury. So I think this is going to be the last week we end up seeing him on the injury report at all, at least for this injury, because I don't think it affected him one bit against the Patriots. And I think that it's just something that you're going to deal with from a maintenance perspective and from a treatment perspective, but it will not be used as an excuse for poor performance from here on out. That has been kicked, and and that's a good thing. And you, you look for, you look around, and so what can happen from an AC sprain? So Anthony Richardson, the quarterback the Saints are supposed to play in three weeks, he just went on injured reserve with an AC sprain. It was a grade three AC sprain, which, you know, it's on the borderline of requiring surgery to repair. That's kind of what we learned as we dove into the AC sprain topic when Derek Carr had it. So he's definitely not going to be there when the Saints face the Colts, which means they're going to end up getting Gardner Minshew, a guy that the Saints have had a lot of success against in the two ga- two games that they have faced him. I think his teams have a combined 
16 points in those games. So, you know, he's probably not thrilled about that pr- pr- that prospective matchup. But I think the Saints probably are because Anthony Richardson is a guy who I think they were going to have a little trouble containing. So, you know, chalk that up as a advantage for that matchup. But the other guys on this list, safety Marcus May, not dealing with injury at all. This is a weird one because I don't think I've ever seen a player get listed on the injury report, the practice participation report, if you will, with a return from suspension tag. Alvin didn't get one when he came back in week four. So for some reason, Marcus May ended up on here. I don't know. Maybe he took a rep off because he was tired. <laughs> and so they, they put him on. I, I am not sure. Either way, that is not an injury. You are going to see Marcus May slot back into this starting lineup. And when you're a team coming off of a shutout and you get to bring back your starting safety, your free safety, your strong safety, whatever you want to call them, they kind of cross over. That's a pretty good feeling, right? Not only are you not dealing with any huge injuries on the defensive side of the ball, you're getting players back. You are getting better as the season goes on. And, you know, I think this team should feel very confident on the defensive side of the ball. And it should feel like if they can just be adequate on offense with this group that, you know, you're going to go a long way. You're going to win a lot of games. And so let's see, let's, let's continue down here. The last one, Andres Pete dealing with a concussion. He was a full participant, but that does not technically mean he has cleared the concussion protocol. So that's going to be one to watch. I expect him to be active this week, and that's going to be a big part of the conversation we have in the second segment regarding the offensive line. So let's put a pin in that for now, and we're going to turn around and look at the Texan side of the equation because, you know, the Saints, while they do have a fair, fairly decent chunk of names and important names on the injury report, so do the Texans because you're talking about Offensive tackle, Laramie Tunsil, didn't practice, got a knee injury. Cornerback Shaq Griffin, calf injury, didn't practice. Nathaniel Tank Dell, concussion, did not practice, and it looks like he's going to miss the game, which personally I'm disappointed about because I'm a big Tank Dell, uh, Tank Dell fangirl, if you will. But, hey, you know, they're gonna, the Saints are going to catch a break there because they're not going to have to deal with him, and, and they're going to be going against a quarterback who Dennis Allen today talked about glowingly. Um, you know, it's not exactly – breaking new ground, but CJ Stroud has set a new NFL record for pass attempts to start a career without an interception, which is pretty remarkable when you consider, you know, this is the NFL. It's been around for a while. It's been a lot of really talented rookies to come in the league and none of them have done what CJ Stroud have do- has done this year. You know, and, and what Dennis Allen said about him is basically he's not just playing well. He's not just playing at a high level for a rookie quarterback. He's playing at a high level for a starting quarterback in the NFL, regardless of how many games they've played. That's how good he has been. So the Saints aren't taking him lightly, but not having Tank Dell is definitely going to be an impact. You're going to be looking at guys like Nico Collins, maybe Robert Woods, who is also listed on this injury report. It says not injury related, but then it says ribs. So I've never understood why, if you have an injury, which is a rib injury, then why is it listed as not injury related? It's the dumbest thing, but whatever. The Saints have done it. Uh, they did it with Ryan Ramchick last week. You know, it's 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 a whole thing. Anyway, moving on. The defensive tackle, Malik Collins, with an abdomen issue. You go down the rest, linebacker Brian, Blake Cash, Brian Cashman, the Yankees general manager. Blake Cashman with a wrist injury. He's limited. T- tackle George Fant, hip, shoulder injuries, limited. Linebacker Christian Harris, concussion limited. 
guard Shaq Mason, ankle injury limited. And then the rest were full participants, but they do have injuries they're dealing with. Wide receiver Noah Brown, groin injury, tackle Titus Howard. So a lot of tackles on this injury report dealing with a hand issue. Guard Josh Jones also dealing with a hand issue. Linebacker Denzel Perryman, hand slash wrist. Tri- and then cornerback Tavir Thomas, a hand injury, full participant. So, you know, both of these teams are going to have interesting injury reports to watch the rest of the week. But I think the Saints are, as they have been, in pretty good a, a pretty good position health-wise, right? Like, it seems like this year we just haven't been talking about health nearly as much or in as distressed terms as we have been over the last few years. And whenever the injuries pile up and you you look at, oh, Matt Ray, this brought in Matt Ray, he's supposed to be this great sports science guy and to, to limit soft tissue injuries and whatever. Well, you know, I think this year we have seen some improvement in that area, right? Whether it's been perfect, I don't know. But a guy like Mike Thomas is, is still on the field in week six, has not appeared on any injury reports, knock on wood. You know, that's a good thing. You know, there's been a lot of Impact injuries, you've seen some. You saw, you know, guys land on injured reserve early in camp in terms of Trey Turner, Andrew Dowell, uh, Eno Benjamin. But, you know, those were those were isolated incidents. It seemed like they were piling up quickly, but they were pretty isolated at the beginning of the season. So, you know, I think all in all, when you look at where the Saints are right now, you're not thinking to yourself, man, if only they weren't missing both starting corners, they would have a chance in this matchup, right? If only they weren't missing their starting running back and their third string running back and whatever, you know, like this is a season where you can at least look at it and say, okay, we have the players to execute. Now, why aren't we? <laughs> because that's not a question of who's there. So personally, I appreciate that. And so we'll have to keep watching this injury report, but that's where things stand after the Wednesday edition of practice. So I'm going to wrap up that segment there. I'm going to try to keep this podcast on point more so than I have previous episodes. So I'm going to try to keep these segments to 15 minutes because we're late in the day and I do need to get through this and I have a whole lot of other stuff that I need to figure out. So let's wrap up this segment. That was the Wednesday injury report, the initial injury report. We see who's on it. We see who we're going to have to keep track of and we're going to go forward off of that. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow the show on Twitter at Saints underscore pod. You can follow my co-host at Steve Geller WWL. We're going to be right back to talk about Trevor Penning because it's not looking good for him. Let's, let's leave it at that. But we will be right back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. I'm your host, Solomon on Twitter, at Jeff underscore Nowak. If you haven't subscribed wherever you get your podcasts, please do that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you'd like to see more of, what you'd like to see less of, whether you'd like me to stop talking so much or ranting about this and that. I, I, I'll, I'll do whatever I can, but let's, let's get back into it. Reminder, the final segment of this program will be a mailbag. But first things first, we do have to talk about Trevor Penning, a guy who... I think has taken a step forward. I don't know. Like you can look at some of the struggle points, but I think the idea with Trevor is we always knew there would be struggle points. The question is, can he improve in those elements of the game and how much of a struggle are you willing to let him play through? Dennis Allen had said earlier this season that you're going to let Trevor Penning play through any inconsistency. And I think, what you've seen is him improve in the pass protection part of the game. Now, if you follow Nick Underhill, which I know a lot of you do, um, <laughs> and you have to give him credit, he got on Pete Carmichael for not including enough motion in the offense, and wouldn't you know it, in uh, week week six, he saw a bunch of motion, so much so that he had a bunch of false starts because these guys weren't particularly prepared for it, it seemed. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. But this week, it seems he's decided to go in on the offensive tackle position. And, you know, I think that, that he has a reason for doing that, but you know, it's, it's interesting because you look at what Trevor has done and, and yes, he had struggles in pass pro to start the season. seems like he's cleaned a good bit of that up. And so you're happy there, but the run blocking has not been what you need to see or what you expected. You know, I've seen a few people respond to that information with like, I thought run blocking was supposed to be his forte. That was supposed to be his bread and butter. What happened? You know, it's a good question. It's a good question. I think to a certain extent, you saw a guy who knew he had to improve in pass protection so much so that, you know, what else do you have time to to work on? And, you know, this is a team that has struggled to run the ball. And I don't know exactly what you are planning and what you think will be better if you do sit him down. But it does seem like that is in the cards or at least something the Saints are seriously considering because during this media portion of practice today, which is not the complete practice, we don't know if they spent, if they did team drills and and alternated and, and Trevor got some first team reps or some second team reps. I don't know. We didn't see it one way or the other, but Andres Pete was at the starting left guard spot and James Hurst was at the starting left tackle spot. Now it's not difficult to read into that, but I think what you're seeing, it's it's twofold. One, yes, Trevor has struggled in the run blocking part of the game, and it's taken him a little while to get into the swing of things at, at, in the pass protection, although I think it has been better. But the second part of this equation is that James Hurst has struggled, I would argue, even more at the left guard spot. And I just don't think that they want to keep him at guard. I think they want to get Andres Pete onto the field. And so the question is, if you start Andres Pete, who is your best option at left tackle between Trevor Penning and James Hurst? You can make the argument that the floor is higher with James Hurst. You're not going to see these kind of rookie mishaps and you would expect him to be more consistent. But 
your ceiling is very low. And if you go to James Hurst, are you just undermining any confidence that you have been able to install in this young player who you drafted in the first round? Is that going to set him back to a point that he's not going to recover from? That's that's what I worry about because I think confidence is everything in the NFL. And I don't I don't think the run game has the run blocking has been that bad. It's been it hasn't been perfect. I don't think it's been bench the guy bad. And the the reason that I, I find it difficult to believe that James Hurst is really the better option at left tackle is I mean, he's not exactly a star run blocker either. If you go to pro football focus, you look at last year, which you had an entire season of him starting at left tackle, right? He did not have a run blocking grade in any game higher than 69. That was his best run blocking grade. It came against Atlanta. He had another one that was 64.1. Another was 65.8. That was against the Bengals, a game the Saints did run the ball very well in. But a majority of these games, you were looking at 58, 54, 39.6. That was against the Vikings. 59.9, 49.9, 48. That was against the Steelers. 40.4. That was against the 49ers. 35.4. That was against the Bucks. And 39.47. That was in the season finale against Carolina. So if your reasoning is the run blocking needs to be better. Where is your evidence that James Hurst is a better run blocker? Because I don't see it. Uh, so I, I think that's an, I think the issue is you want to keep James Hurst on the field. But it's pretty clear that Andres Pete is the better option at left guard if he is healthy. And so let's just list, hear from a few Saints representatives, <laughs> if you will. This is what Dennis Allen had to say today about the offensive line in general and James Hurst and, and what they have seen from him. Offensive line. It was was last week. Maybe just their better, their best game as a as a you know one through five unit. Yeah, I think overall, um, you know, I, th- I think the last couple of weeks they've they've played uh, significantly better, and so um, you know, hopefully we're, we're getting back closer to, to to being healthy along the offensive line with all of our guys, uh, and that that group will you know continue to gel cohesively as a group. What have you guys seen from uh, James Hurst just throughout the season? Yeah, James. James has you know been a guy that's a veteran guy that's moved around and played a lot of different positions, um, you know. And so, uh, you know, there's been a little bit of inconsistency, and yet I think a lot of that has to do with you know he's kind of moved around to a bunch of different spots. So, um, you know, again, he's a, he's a veteran player that that provides a lot of flexibility for us. Um, and, and I think he's a big part of, you know, our ability to be successful along the offensive line. It's, it's difficult. You got to kind of read between the lines there. Cause you're not, you hear a coach saying, I think our offensive line has played some of its better football over the last few weeks. Yet we're talking about benching your left tackle. And so why would you do that? You know, I, I just think you're trying to figure out who your best five players are. And this is a team that knows it has to figure things out this season. It can't afford to lose games in the process of developing a rookie left tackle. Um, but again, my question is, who are your best five players? Because as much as I like James Hurst, as much as I think he's a valuable piece of this team, I don't think he's your best option at left tackle. And I don't think he's your best option at left guard. Now, I do think he is a very good option as kind of that six offensive lineman who can plug in pretty much anywhere if you need him, right? And so I think 
when you kind of look at it, that makes the most sense is put Anders Pete in the starting lineup at left guard, allow Trevor Penning to play through some of these struggles and have James Hurst available because injuries happen. And if you have James Hurst starting at left tackle, when your left guard goes down, when Andres P goes down, which has been his biggest issue is staying healthy, you can't put Trevor Penning in at left guard because he's never played left guard. So if that happens, you would end up having to shift Andres Pete, I'm sorry, shift James Hurst over to left guard and put Trevor back in the game anyway. And so you're playing two guys at different positions. It, it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And I think a team coming off of a 34-point shutout shouldn't be making major changes like that on a whim. Now, uh, one, I, I do think that getting the run game going is important. And as you know, it's another Nick Underhill research point, which he, he does a great job with these film studies and these, these data sets is they have run a lot more to the right side than they have the left side, right? I think it's something like 84 to 36 or something like that. That said, you're supposed to run off your right tackle. Your right tackle is supposed to be a run blocking tackle. So, you know, wh- whatever you want to say, I think that isn't crazy for an offensive unit to air toward the right side of the line. What I will say is when you look at the tight end position and one of the difficulties in getting the tight ends involved, which we've talked about, why haven't the tight ends been catching passes? They've been asked to give a lot of help to Trevor Penning's side. They, that's one of the reasons he has been more effective in the pass protection part of the game is you have shifted more help over there. You have running backs chip. You've had tight ends chip. And when they have to chip and get out, it limits the amount that you can do with them in terms of the timing of each play, keeping them in, in, in reads. Um, and so I think if you're putting James Hurston at left tackle, it's because you think you can put him out there and not give as much help and be able to be less predictable with your protection schemes, with some of your route combinations. You can get the tight end out on pass routes more consistently. You can get the running back out of the backfield more consistently because you aren't constantly having to help over that side. Um, And when you can get the run game going, it sets up everything else. The Saints haven't been running much play action at all. Um, and I'm, part of it is, you know, the run game has not been respected. Now, I think with Alvin Kamara, that'll happen regardless, but it's still a conversation. And so speaking of Alvin Kamara, let's hear what he had to say on the run game. Yeah, I mean, call the runs, right? So, uh, I mean, the O-line, is, it, they, they had a great game last week, and I think I just said it. Um, they kind of get lost in the shuffle of, of, of you know, when the when the high fives and the kudos go out, you know, they kind of get uh, lost. But, you know, C's and, and, and Ram and Eric and those guys, and, you know, Pete, James, uh, even even Trevor, you know, uh, he's been struggling, but he, he had a good showing last week. You know, he doing, they, they did a great job. You know, they protected Will, gave Derek time to throw the ball, and then they – Gave me some holes and gave Kendra some holes to um, run through. So I think just just being able to kind of stack and add on to what that performance was, and going to this next week and kind of do the same thing. I feel like, and I we we talk about it all the time when we can run the ball when we want to and how we want to. Um, the game kind of it, it gets easy. It's it's weird to be talking about major change on the offensive line in the same week that we're talking about that we're talking about you know the offensive line having its best week of the season. And so that's 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 kind of strange. So, you know, when I look at it, you know, in my kind of final thought here, and we, we can move on, is if the, the change that I think makes sense, and I've said this before, is if Andres Pete is healthy and available, he is your best option at left guard. My thought throughout camp was the consistency 
And that's what we've been hearing a lot from from players and coaches is consistency. And I thought just having Trevor Penning next to James Hurst all camp made it so regardless of the health of Andres Pete, it just made more sense to keep that pairing, keep that duo together. Well, it hasn't really happened anyway. We've seen James Hurst have to shift over to right guard because of injuries anyway. So we've seen him work with other players. And I just, I think what makes the most sense from a run blocking perspective and a pass pro perspective is you start Andres Pete, you move James Hurst back to that kind of jumbo swing tackle guard role and you go from there and you allow Trevor to, to, to continue to progress. Now, I don't know. That might happen. That might not happen. When you see them make a change in in practice, that's usually a pretty good indicator of how things are going to go because you're not practicing things that you're not going to run. So we'll have to see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that continues Thursday and Friday. But one way or the other, you're going to have to figure it out. And that's how I'm going to leave it. Thanks, everyone, uh, for checking in. We're going to close out this segment here. We are going to come back and hit a live mailbag. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. We will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nowak. This is a live mailbag. Let us start with Jerry G, who has a new picture. Breast cancer awareness, which uh, it's good to see. It says, next week we'll be busy for the Saints Sunday at Texans and next Thursday night versus the Jaguars on Thursday night football. And, and I agree, this is a very difficult stretch. And I think that Thursday night football turnaround, which is already difficult to begin with, you're facing a Jaguars team that has played very well. They just beat the Bills over in London. I will say that you might get a reprieve here in terms of the Jaguars actually have a more difficult situation to navigate. They're coming back from London after two weeks. 
right? So they've fully acclimated to the time change. They are coming back. They don't have a bye week. They have to play this week, and then they have to make a quick turnaround and go on the road to face the Saints. So while this is a tough turnaround for the Saints, I think it's actually more difficult for the Jags. And I still, but I still, with that in mind, I still think that you really need to win the game against a rookie quarterback before you go and face what I would argue is the best quarterback on the Saints schedule this year in Trevor Lawrence. I asked DA about this. I asked him if it's difficult to game plan for, you know, two different quarterbacks that you've never faced in 10 days and he wouldn't buy it. He would say, oh, we're focused on the Texans. And and I think it's, it is interesting because he's talked multiple times about how this Texans team reminds him of the 49ers. They have the they have similar schemes. Their rosters are built similarly. Now, the Texans are probably two to three years away from having the level of talent they need to seriously contend, right? But what we've seen is a team that plays hard. They fly to the football. They have a solid pass rush. They have a quarterback who doesn't turn it over, or at least he hasn't. You know, the Saints would love to be the first team to intercept uh, Alante Taylor. I'm sorry, not Alante Taylor. Uh, CJ Stroud, Alante Taylor, talked about it today. And he said, and he basically said the same thing. Just, we would love to uh, be that team to, to get that first interception. And the Saints team, unlike last year, has gotten a ton of interceptions. They have seven – I held up five. They have seven interceptions on the season through, through five games. They had seven interceptions total in the 2022 season. So that changes things. When you can turn the ball over at that rate, I think they're plus three in turnover margin after the Patriots game because they went into it even. The Patriots are minus eight, which you know it's hard to win games that way. But yeah, this is a Saints team that I think really needs to win this game against the Texans so you can turn around and go at the Jags with everything you've got at four and two, and hopefully you can win another game and you know, get on a winning streak, right? It's been so long since I can recall the Saints just getting on a four or five game winning streak and just feeling like you are in control of your own destiny. Every year, this is the time where we've seen the Saints go into games they should win and lay an egg and then get to the end of the season. I'm like, man, if only you hadn't blown a 10-point lead against the Giants, if only you hadn't put up a dud for the first three and a half quarters against the Falcons and needed an 18-point comeback and then lost on a last-second field goal, right? The, those are the games that, you know, you you look back on and you're like, man, you missed the playoffs by one game. There it was, in your hands, and you couldn't get it done against Daniel Jones and the Giants. Uh, and so this is where you need to you need to change that. You need to correct that narrative and go win the games you should win against a rookie quarterback. I don't care how good he's playing. He's still a rookie quarterback, and you should be able to take advantage of that with a defense that is playing at as high a level as any team in the NFL. So we'll see. You know, it, it, But it is funny when you look at it, and you look at the way this schedule has kind of panned out, and five of the Saints' first eight games are against AFC opponents. And then Mickey Loomis talked about that on WWL this week. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, four of your first six games are on the road. Five of your first eight are against AFC opponents, teams you don't play a ton, right? The Titans are actually a team the Saints are pretty familiar with because they've played them several times over the last three, four years with the same coaching staff and the same quarterback. But, you know, you look at the Patriots, they played them in 2021. Yes, 2021, it was week three. Jameis was still the quarterback. That was actually the game that Teron Armstead got hurt. Tony Jones Jr. Uh, had, a, had a part in that, which I don't think we even mentioned. Tony Jones Jr. is out in the Cardinals now. 
poor guy keeps getting claimed on waivers every year and as it just goes somewhere else I think last year it was Seattle he went out there for a couple games he ended up in Denver but yes that that was the time they played the Patriots so they did have some familiarity with the Patriots but now you have a few games against teams that you just have not played which is the Texans you know a team that you did play in the preseason the last two years but it's been a while since you have played them in the regular season and you have never played them with D'Amico Ryans or CJ Stroud so that's a completely different scouting process same is true of the Jaguars. You have not faced them since Doug Peterson took over, since they got Trevor Lawrence. And so it is a completely new scouting assignment. You have to start from scratch and go into it, figuring it out from square one. Now, they did catch a break, as we've mentioned, with the Colts. Again, a team that is completely different from the last time you saw them and has a rookie quarterback that has been starting, but he will not be there. So the Saints get to go against Gardner Minshew, a player that they have some experience going against. They faced him in 2019 when he was on the Jaguars. They won 13-6. to That was a game Teddy Bridgewater started. It was in Jacksonville, and the defense dominated. Jared Cook caught a touchdown in that game. Don't ask me why I remember that. And then they faced him last year in Week 17. Week 16, Week 17? I can't remember. It was late in the season. And they beat the Eagles 20-10, to a game that, you know, you looked at the schedule at the beginning of the season, you would have penciled in a loss because the Saints aren't beating the Eagles. Well, they did. So that kind of strength of schedule thing at the beginning of the season is, as Mickey put it, it's, not, it's more, usually more important when you play a team than, than who you play. And so you, you'll have to see. But that Colts team is going to be tough, and you're just going to have to figure it out as you go. But I would much rather go into that Colts game at 5-2 uh, at and two than at 3-4, uh, and 4-3. and three. I don't know. The math, the math is tough. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Thanks for the question, Jerry. Demetrius James also points out might not have to deal with Justin Jefferson in that matchup on November 12th either. Yeah, Justin Jefferson went on injured reserve. A lot of players ended up on injured reserve this week. And you kind of look at it like, whew, you know, the Giants are also dealing with a ton of injuries. They're also terrible. I think they're one in four. So, you know, Daniel Jones is, is dealing with a neck issue. Saquon Barkley hasn't played the last few weeks, although it does look like he's trending in the right direction. So, yeah, it's... It's just a situation where you can't count your chickens on the schedule release. You know, you got to figure out what team you're facing when you get there, right? The Patriots, while they were in bad shape going into that game, they were in much worse shape without Matt Judon and Christian Gonzalez. Two of, I would argue, two of their best defensive players. Maybe they're two defensive. Maybe they're two best defensive players who got hurt the week before and the Saints didn't have to deal with them. And so, like, that's a completely different Patriots team than it was with those players. And, you know, the Colts are going to be a completely different offense with Gardner Minshew than they were with Anthony Richardson. So it's all it's all relative, and you just got to figure it out. But, yes, Jordan Justin Jefferson went on IR. The thing is, the first game he will be eligible to return is against the Saints. So if they do have to face him, it will be a rusty Justin Jefferson. And talk about a team that's struggling. The Vikings look listless. I... I I think you're if you're the Vikings, you're starting to get in the territory of fire sale situation, right? Kirk Cousins is in the last year of his contract. I don't know how confident you are in Kirk Cousins as your, you know, your savior, but I mean, what has he done really to make you believe that he is the long-term answer to in the in the realm that you give him a multi-year deal, you know, do you give him a Derek Carr type deal? I mean, they're very similar quarterbacks, but are you going to reset the deck? Where are you going to be by the time Justin Jefferson gets back? He is that offense. You don't really have a running back. You've, you're looking at Alexander Madison and Cam Akers. Like, I mean, 
there's just not a lot to be desired on that Vikings team. They played above their weight last year. They won all those one-score games. They went to the playoffs. I think they were, what, 13-4? and four? They had a negative score differential. They won 13 games, and they were outscored on the season. That's crazy. That doesn't read as a team that is ready to take the next step. That reads as a team that is lucky to be there. You know, and, and speaking of score differentials, I did find it interesting. I looked this week. There are two teams in the NFL with a record of 500 or better and a negative score differential. One is the Steelers, who are 3-2 and two with a minus 31 score differential. They've been outscored by 31 points. They've allowed 31 more points than they've scored. And the Falcons are the other one. They are minus 13, so they've allowed 13 more points than they have scored on the season. Both teams are 3-2. and two. And so it's kind of interesting how that works, but it's, it's very rare to see a team have a record anywhere near 13 and four and still have a negative score differential. That's nearly impossible. That takes some real special blowouts that you've been a part of for, for that to happen. Joey Ragus, will Dennis Allen be fired if we don't make the playoffs? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think probably it, it matters how it happens, right? If it ends up being one of those obnoxious seasons where you win 10 games and you lose a tiebreaker, but you've played generally well, right? Then who knows? Maybe maybe it, you get into a situation where it's like, yeah, that's tough to it's tough to see a team go from seven and ten to ten and seven and fire your head coach. But if this team wins nine or fewer games and misses the playoffs, I think you would you would have a really hard time making that argument with how weak the schedule was. It would still be a step forward, though, and. This team is not one to scoff at progress. <laughs> you know, and I know that the fans have become accustomed to this Super Bowl or bust mentality, which was the case over the last few years when Drew was here. But in a, in a year where you brought in Derek Carr and you are, to some extent, settling for improvement, it's not hard to see a scenario where this team talks itself into bringing Dennis Allen back, even if you don't make the playoffs. But if you have a sub-500 record, if you go 7-10 and 10 again with the level of talent on this team, with the quarterback you brought in as your guy, with all the coaches that you hired as your guys, it's going to be really hard for me to make that argument, right? And I'm, I'm usually a glass-half-full guy. I'm usually a rose-colored glasses guy. If you can't find a win to have a winning record, find a way to have a winning record this season, then it's... It's a non-starter for me. Yes, I think you would be fired. Now, I do think the Saints are going to get to the playoffs this year. I really do. I think the way things have started, and I know it's upsetting to a lot of people because they haven't looked as perfect as you might have hoped, but you you look at all the ways this season could have started. You're, you've got three games without Alvin Kamara. Your quarterback goes down with an AC joint sprain in week three, and you lose in the most devastating way possible. Come back the next week, look listless, and lose – then you go out to New England and you win 34 to nothing. You're three and two after five games. You have Alvin Kamara back. Derek Carr looks like he's back healthy. And you're seeing guys improve. You're seeing the offense look more consistent. You're seeing Mike Thomas healthy and, and getting back. You know, I still don't think he's 100% back to where he wants to be, but every week you can see the rust continue to fall off. I thought he was excellent against the Patriots. I think in a game where it's competitive, in the second half, you would have seen a much bigger game out of him than what you got, but you just didn't need him. So I think to me, that's where you're looking at is this team is getting better and better and better. And, you know, by the end of this season, you're hoping that the offense has caught up with the defense and you're hit and you're, you're hitting on all cylinders and you're, and you're going into the playoffs playing your best football. And hopefully the health, the health, this is the year that 
the health kind of comes back to the mean where you make up for some of that bad luck. So I think, yeah, I, I don't, I think that yes, if this team fails to make the playoffs, you probably do fire Dennis Allen and you reset, but I, I don't think that's what's going to happen. Eric Howard says, why Trevor Penning turning into the problem child on the O-line? He has steadily improved from game to game, and James is as inconsistent at times as Penning. I agree with this. I don't think that it makes sense to bench Trevor Penning. I think that that would be a very difficult thing for a young player to try to navigate from an emotional perspective and from a confidence perspective. I also agree that I don't think James has been very consistent either but I do think that he was better at left tackle than he has been at left guard so you know I I think that there is a scenario where you look at it and you're like okay his floor is higher and you you were able to do some things that you were not able to do with Trevor out there but I mean I, I tend to agree I think if if you're benching Trevor Penning in week six of this season when you're three and two and things seem to be on the right trajectory and getting better, albeit not where you want them to be, I think that would be a mistake. So we'll have to see. You know, I don't think it's decided yet. You're seeing things happen in practice, and that's you know, that could be just getting reps in, getting drills in. But, you know, it's 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 definitely real. So we'll have to we'll have to watch. Justin Pasquale. Pasquale, however you say that. Glad the Saints finally ran some motion last week. Don't you think they should run some play action, though, considering the success Carr has had in the past running play action? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, this, is, this is a scenario where you want to keep introducing wrinkles. You want to just keep getting your offense where it needs to be. I don't think that the lack of play action is necessarily a product of not wanting to run play action. I think it's a product of you were not able to run the ball weeks one through three. And you did not have Alvin and it just didn't work. And when you did run play action, teams didn't respect it. And there's nothing worse than running a play action where the end does not even consider going after the running back and just tackles your quarterback before he can turn around and even see a target. And so I think that's what the situation you were in early in the season when you could not pass protect and you could not run and you could not block. So it just didn't make sense to run play action. It would not have helped you. They were not go. They were not going for it. Now, this last game against the Patriots, I think you were able to run the ball and you would have been able to get into the play action uh, pages of your playbook, but you didn't need to. You were up 34 nothing. You were up 21 nothing at halftime. How many wrinkles did you really have to throw into the equation? You saw them in the first half. You saw more motion. They had 14 snaps of motion in this game. I think the majority was in the first half. Uh, Dennis Allen's not going to be happy with the pre-snap penalties because of motion. And I wouldn't be surprised if one of the reasons the Saints had not been running a ton of motion is because they have a defensive head coach who looks at that and says, that that garbage is nothing. Like, that's not affecting us at all. Like, we don't need that because it doesn't, it's not something that I care about as a defensive coach. And when I see other teams running a ton of motion, I'm just like, cool. Um, but it's still not going to work. And so I think from his perspective, it's like, if... All it's going to do is put us in positions where we make mistakes, then no, don't run it. If you're going to run it, it has to be executed correctly. And that's kind of what he said this week. And I tweeted that and people got up in arms because anytime Dennis Allen talks, people like to complain, but hey, whatever. But no, I, I agree. I think you do need to, it's not even about the motion per se. It's about being less predictable. It's about not doing what they expect you to do. Even if you're running the same play that they think you're going to run and you can give them a different look, 
you know, and there's the concept of, yes, if you're running motion, a lot of times you can identify whether it's man versus zone, but in most cases, you don't need to, you don't need to send a guy in motion to know whether they're playing man versus zone. You can tell based on, you know, how the defensive backs are lined up and you're getting a lot of keys that does not require seeing a guy run across the line of scrimmage just, or not the line of scrimmage, but run from one side of the formation to the other, just be like, oh, they're in man, you know? So yeah, it, it's, it's something that I think you're going to see them continue to incorporate, but this is not going to turn into like the 49ers offense. It's just not. Justin Pasquale also says, especially being committed to the run like we have. Yeah, they, they, I think the way that they approach the run game in week five is the way they have to continue to uh, approach the run game. There's Gigi says, I am so upset about moving Hurst. Now, let's be real. Let's be, let's be accurate here. They have not done anything yet. They have not come out and announced, okay, James Hurst is now our starting left tackle. We're basing this off of very early decisions in the week and what we have seen. Um, but it's definitely something that is that is a possibility. And so you're going from there. And the question is, is it the, the right decision or is it something that you are kind of overreacting to? Again, like I said, I think the correct approach would be start Andres Pete next to Trevor Penning and see how things go the next few weeks. If it continues to be a problem and and you cannot get the run game going and you cannot allow Trevor to try to correct some of these issues in the run game now that he has ironed things out to an extent in pass pro, then I think you you make that change. But you don't have to overreact and bench a, bench a young player who is finding his way to make things to make things happen. I, I just don't think you do, especially with a defense first team, which the Saints very much are. Eric Howard, do you think the defense has found the formula to stop an offensive team that has a mobile quarterback? No. <laughs> that's honestly, and, and that's one of the biggest concerns I have is when you end up facing, you know, an Anthony Richardson, right? Or a Justin Fields, what happens? You know, it, it, to an extent, though, I actually think that those are the easier matchups because you at least know, you know, when you're designing runs for the quarterback, the defense can at least have a plan for that. It's the Quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield or like a Jalen Hurts who aren't necessarily scrambling to run. They are scrambling to extend the play and they're very good at it. Those are the players that have given the Saints a ton of trouble over the last few years. And I, I don't think that they have done anything tangibly to to change that, to, to, to find that formula, as you put it, to, to stop that. They just have to be better and they have to contain, right? They just can't allow third down scrambles like they did against the Bucks. That was the worst of all evils in terms of how that game went of, yes, the Saints actually did do a decent job of shutting things down, but they were not able to contain Baker Mayfield on third down specifically. And he was able to just pick up enough yardage to keep the drive going and exhaust the defense and just keep him on the field forever. They had a 17 play drive in that game. And multiple times it was just Baker Mayfield just standing there and waiting and waiting and making a guy miss and then picking up eight yards. And so I don't know, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, something there's a, there's this idea that every defense is going to be good against every style of offense and every quarterback and every system. That's just not true. Some defenses are better against others, against certain systems. And I think the Saints defense is always going to struggle to an extent to main, to contain mobile quarterbacks. Now you can still win those games. It helps when you have an offense that can put up points. And that's been the issue the last few years is in those games where the defense is not able to be as dominant 
The offense has never been able to pick up the slack, especially last year. So, you know, but then there was time, like you look at that 49ers game, the 49ers spent all season beating up on teams. They put 13 points on the board. If the Saints could have done anything offensively in that game, you know, they, they might be the, you know, the finally the team that can beat, I guess Brock Purdy wasn't in there yet. It was Jimmy Garoppolo still at that point. But you get the idea. Like there are, there's going to be matchups where the defense can dominate and re- the, the offensive scheme they're facing really fits their eye. And there's going to be, Games where the defense is at a little disadvantage and the offense has to help them out. And uh, so I think that's what you have to hope for. One more question and then we'll get out of here. Randy Savage, the macho man with Foster Morrow and Juwan Johnson in the lineup. Now, do we see less Taysom Hill plays? Well, as we talked about in the in the opening segment, Juwan Johnson's still not at practice. He's still dealing with that calf injury. So I don't, I don't know if you're going to see him in the lineup. I would be surprised if he is um, in terms of Got two games in ten days. If you're not practicing now, uh, you know maybe the target is Thursday, right? A week from a week from Thursday, we'll have to see. But no, I don't think I don't think the tight ends formulaically. So I don't know if that word makes sense in that in the context, but whatever. I don't think the tight ends like in the formula affect Taysom Hill in that way. I think his his role in the offense is so distinct even though it's everything it's still so so distinct in their in their scheme that he's going to get his carries he's going to get those seven to ten touches whether it's a pass whether it's a run I would honestly not mind seeing him throw the ball more and I, I think that it's a scary thing to talk about but you it goes in waves right where you've run so many times in a row with Taysom Hill, when you've you've had these or read option plays or whatever, that defenses start to play it a certain way. And then you can hit them over the top, right? And you can just take a shot and take a chance and go get something like uh, that game against the Seahawks, right? Where Taysom Hill was running all over him and then you were able to hit Adam Troutman up the seam for a touchdown. And I think we haven't really seen that yet. We haven't really seen Taysom throw the ball downfield. We've seen him throw the ball a couple times. I think against... The Bucks. It was like for a 13-yard out to Mike Thomas, right? It was it was not a big play potential on the field, and so like that's where I want to see. I would mi- I would not mind seeing this Saints team go out there and throw a shot play with Taysom Hill, you know, once a game, right? And we and you know we've joked about it in the past. I think it was against the Giants where he he threw that interception to James Bradbury, and people say he threw a punt, you know, and uh, so you have to be smart about it. And you have to trust Taysom Hill to not throw into coverage just because he's being asked to run a shot play. You need to trust him to understand that if it's not there, you can pull it down and run with it. And that's been my only criticism of running those plays is it seems like either you're throwing it or you're running it. It's never read the defense. And if they are covering it, talk the ball and run. You don't have to throw to that guy if he's covered. Right, make the decision. Be a quarterback, um, and so yeah, I, I don't think I don't think Juwan Johnson or T- Foster Murrow being on the field uh, affects him that much because Taysom is not a tight end. He'll occasionally line up a tight end. He'll, he'll line up at the H. He'll line up wherever, but he's not he's not being a tight end. Let's be real. I'm Jeff Nowak. This is Inside Black and Gold. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow the show at Saints Pod Saints underscore Pod. There is an account called Saints Pod, and it's also a Saints Pod, but it's not the Saints Pod that you'll be looking for. So look for Saints underscore pod. You can check out the latest Saints news, analysis, interviews, 
whatever over at WWL.com. You can check out Sports Talk 48 p.m. on WWL AM 870 FM 105.3 and the Odyssey app. Thanks, as always, for everyone who tuned in, everyone who left a comment. I always do appreciate it. And who that? Go Saints. Be as y'all. Peace.